From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. You're with Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Now, as you may know, I spend 24 hours a day surfing news sites to try and lap up as much as I possibly can. And sometimes I read things that I just go, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Next. Well, I found one of those stories today, and off the back of what we discussed with Ed Martin earlier in the program, which was this vote that's going on in the next 24 hours featuring um, the GOP to determine whether they take the next step to impeach the president. I read this story and I thought, no, but I thought you'd be interested anyway. It comes from the Horn News. The Biden administration creates so much of its foreign policy based on who donates to the president's family that it may even affect which Hamas hostages get released. There's a link. It's a a tenuous link, but there's a link. Have a listen. Incredible as it may seem, the very first US hostage Biden managed to get released by the radical Islamic terrorist group just happens to be related to a woman who bought the artwork produced by Hunter Biden. You know, this very expensive artwork that's worth probably more like a couple of bucks. Uh, In an even greater coincidence, Biden appointed the woman to lead a government commission on art, a post that had led House Republicans to investigate the woman over the summer. Can you believe this? Uh, Here are the murky details, the good, the bad and the ugly. The good news is one of the estimated 260 hostages held by the Muslim terrorist group Hamas has been set free. Hamas released the youngest U.S. hostage in its custody, Abigail Moore Adan, on Sunday. Hamas terrorists murdered Abigail's parents on the October 7 attack, shooting her father before her eyes while he blocked the three-year-old girl with his own body. Her six-year-old sister, Amelia, and her nine-year-old brother, Michael, escaped by hiding in the closet with their mother's dead body. Wow. Abigail just turned four years old in captivity. That's the good news and gives hope to the nine other US hostages still in Hamas clutches. Unfortunately, that's where the good news ends and appearance of the Biden's familiar brand of corruption begins. The only American hostage Biden got set free is related to one of the women who bought Hunter Biden's paintings, the abstract art the president's son makes by blowing on paint through a straw. Abigail's great aunt, longtime Democratic donor, uh, donor Elizabeth Hirsch Naftali, pushed hard for Biden to get her relative released, as anyone would, but she's the only one so far whose prayers have been answered. Could that connection, could her appointment, could all of that been motivating Biden to go in hard with the Qataris and others, the Egyptians, to press Hamas to have her released? Now, I know this is sort of like tenuous, but what we've heard from the way Joe Biden and his son have done business together, whether it's with the Ukraine or China, Nothing would surprise me. Nothing would surprise me at all. Um, Meanwhile, Russia has decided to uh, cut ties with the LGBTQI community. 
this is out of AP, Russia's Supreme Court effectively outlawed LGBTQ plus activism on Thursday, the most dramatic and drastic step against advocates of gay, lesbian and transgender rights in the increasingly conservative country. Ruling in response to a lawsuit filed by the Justice Ministry, the court labelled what the suit called the LGBTQ plus movement operating in Russia as an extremist organisation and banned it. The ruling is the latest step in a decade-long crackdown on LGBTQ plus rights in Russia under President Vladimir Putin, who has emphasised traditional family values during his 24 years in power. Let's see whether those within the LGBTQ plus community in Russia decide to get out into the streets and protest at such a decision by the Supreme Court. We will soon see. This is TNT Radio. Be a part of the conversation. I want representation I can trust. Have your say. Biden isn't doing enough. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Just in terms of weather from various parts, Lozzie says it's uh, boiling hot in Queensland today. Uh, Chris says, good afternoon from the scorching Hunter Valley, which is in New South Wales, for those who don't know, but inland, very, very hot today on the first day of summer in Australia. I've got John Ruddick on the line right now. He is an MLC, which means he's in the upper house of the New South Wales Parliament. He is also the leader of the Liberal Democratic Party in the state of New South Wales. John Ruddick, welcome. Good afternoon, Chris. Now, I need to tell you, we've changed our party name to the Libertarian Party. Have you? Not just in Victoria, but also in New South Wales? Nationally and in New New South Wales, we officially did it uh, last uh, Saturday. Last Saturday, you've changed your name. Why? Well, look, that's who we are, libertarians. Now, look, we, uh, you know, look, over history, you would say that we, the the term liberal democrat has changed over time. Mm. International people think that we're communists when we say we're liberal democrats. Yes, Um, yes. And, um, you know, and also there's another party in this country with the word liberal in it. So we needed a fresh start. Yeah. Uh, we did fight them in the high court. We came very close to winning. But anyway, look, I think we're all very happy to be there now as the uh, Libertarian Party. All get on the same page and move forward. Correct, yes. All right. Now, as I understand it, it was a very, very late night in the New South Wales Parliament. Were you there? <laughs> Okay, well, look, uh, what happened was I had to get up really early this morning to go to Canberra. I did take an early mark last night. It was a traumatic day. I followed it all. Uh, but I'll tell you something very interesting happened in Parliament yesterday. Uh, Chris, I actually sort of, for the first time, was responsible for bringing in a new law. Uh, and I'll, t- I'll just walk you, th- you and the, the well, listeners through. So there is this crime to, if you incite violence, that's a crime. And that's not free speech. If you're out there on the front steps of the Sydney Opera House saying gas the Jews, that's a crime. But under the current laws, uh, it's about a six-month process, so the cops don't even worry about enforcing it. You've got to go through the DPP, the Director of Public Prosecutions. Now, the government, the Minns government, to their credit, said, well, look, we're going to change this so that coppers, coppers on the beat... If they hear somebody incite violence, they don't have to go through all the rigmarole with the deputy, the, the, the DPP. They can make a, a, a you know, prosecute on the spot. Well, I supported that because our Jewish friends 
right now are feeling under siege. There's convoys going through, you know, Jewish suburbs mm. and being menaced. Yeah, there's so, some intimidation, all right, occurring. Absolutely. So I think what the, what the Minsk government was doing was the right thing. And I told the Minsk government early in the day, I said, look, I am going to support this, uh, but I, I believe that there should be an amendment. And that amendment should be that there is a two-year sunset clause. So in two years' time, this sort of letting the average little local copper on the beat bring in, you know, bring about, you know, just getting somebody on the spot. I said, let's do it for two years and then let's review it in two years. Let's have a sunset clause so it expires in two years and then we can uh, review it. Maybe right. we want to strengthen it. Maybe we want to water it down. Maybe, we want, you know, we can just – because my, my, my caution was that these things – we all support it now – uh, you know, that we need these laws to protect our Jewish uh, citizens. But the cops can, you know, push these things further, you know, and it can become, they can start to arrest people because they were, you know, you know allegedly going to incite violence towards a whole number of groups. Sure. So I, I said, look, I think we need a two-year sunset clause. Now, the government didn't like it at first. The, the 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 opposition didn't like it, and the Greens didn't like it. I said, okay, well, I'll be the only person in the parliament getting up. I gave a one minute speech, say, look, I'm going to support the government on this. Yes, because I want to support our Jewish friends. Uh, but I do, I think I think the right thing to do is to have a sunset clause, then we can review it. The the parliament can review review it, not just the not just the police, not just the minister. And um, anyway, I got up and gave my speech. Then the Greens came over to me and they said, John, look, I think we, and they got four votes there, so it's not nothing. They said, I think we're going to support it. I said, well, that's nice. I, I thought it would be me and the Greens. Occasionally that happens, not often. And then the coalition came over to me and said, John, no, we've decided to support it. <sighs> now, when, when the coalition, the opposition, the Liberals and the Nationals, and the Greens, who've got a block of four, then they only need two more crossbenchers and we beat the government. And that's what happened. The, the, the very nice uh, lady from Animal Justice, Emma Hurst, uh, she supported us. So... We, we, the, the Minns government got their law, but it is going to be reviewed in two years' time. Well and, done. Uh, so we've done something. We've done something of something of value. Well, hang on. Yeah. You've done a lot of value because I hear from a little birdie that you might be travelling to Argentina maybe <laughs> the week after next. Well, look, it's very exciting. Uh, you know, look, I, I, I love Donald Trump, okay, but I tell you, this new Argentinian president, he's ten times better than Trump. Uh, <laughs> You know, and, uh, he is a radical libertarian. You know, Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan were thought of, sort of thought of as libertarians, but no, no, this Harvey Malay in Argentina, he's the real deal. Yeah. Now, I gave a speech two days ago. I asked a question. I asked a question to the New South Wales Treasurer, Daniel Mookie. I said, "Look, are you following what's happening in um, in in Argentina? Do you think you can learn from it?" And the Parliament erupted in laughter when I asked that question. But I was very sincere about it. Because uh, I think we're, we're all—I think the whole world's going to be able to learn from what Argentina's about to do, undertake. And anyway, so I put that—I uh, put uh, put that up on uh, social media, and then I gave a bit of response. A million people have seen that clip in two days, Chris. <laughs> I've, I've had about two thousand new followers from Argentina. It was a, my, a part of my speech was on the six o'clock news in Buenos Aires last night. <laughs> so, um, so, so. The mainstream media in Australia ignore me, Chris, but uh, yeah, the international media. When I gave my maiden speech, which you very kindly came along to, 
It made the news in the United States of America. Big websites. No, no, the Australian media just ignored it. Uh, yeah. But anyway, the Argentinian, look, the, lots of fans in Argentina. And uh, yes, the foreign minister has reached out and um, has officially invited me to the president's uh, inauguration on, I think, the 10th or the 11th of December. Oh, so, uh, that's incredible. The Donald, the Donald Ruddick of Australia. Well, look, I, I, I'm just trying to re-engineer the diary. I've got a few things I may not be able to get out of. Oh, really? I, 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 I've, I've got to – well, my wife, my wife has absolutely demanded. She said, if you go to Argentina, I'm coming with you. I said, why is that? <laughs> she said, well, even though you're middle-aged and overweight at the moment, uh, there's no way in the, God's world I'm going to let you go to Argentina with all those beautiful Argentinian women without me. <laughs> I said, fair enough. You can come. She's very, very smart. Just on, just talking about international issues at the moment, um, with Florida's Ron DeSantis taking on California's Gavin Newsom last night in that debate, and I've seen a few snippets of it, um, we've seen some fascinating comparisons between the two states on either side of the US. Uh, you've been reposting some of them on X overnight, obviously a little bit bored with what was going on in the House. Um, what do we conclude from this comparison? Well, when I was growing up, California was the um, the golden state. Yeah, uh, it had the world's sixth biggest economy. It was just the place you went to, you know, to to make your dreams come true. Whether it was Hollywood or business or uh, you know Silicon Valley. And uh, now, what has happened is, and it, and it used to be a pretty right wing state. Uh, Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan were both from California. Reagan was, in fact, the pre- the, the, pre- the the governor. Uh, but what has happened is in the uh, they're basically being invaded from illegal immigrants from Mexico who have started to vote a bit more right wing lately. And that's an encouraging trend. But they have traditionally voted for the left, for the Democrats. Mm. And it just turned California into a one party state. Yeah, yeah they, they still have elections, but everybody knows who's going to win. They're yeah. Democrats. It's not yep. just Democrats, left-wing Democrats, crazy mm. left. It's like the Greens running California. That's what it's like. Mm. Uh, and the place is going to hell. The Golden mm. State is going to hell. They've lost, uh, what now, was it, 760,000 Californians have found another state to live in. Yeah, well, that's right. They're leaving, they're leaving California, and a hell of a lot of them are going to Florida, the, yeah. the, uh, you know, with, with the, the fantastic uh, Ron DeSantis. Now, Florida used to be the 50-50 state, sometimes Democrat, sometimes Republican. It has very much trended over the last 20 years, and it's, and it's an increasing trend, the voting Republican. Mm. And, that, and, and, that, and they've got this terrific Ron DeSantis, um, and people want to live in Florida. During all the COVID hysteria, it was just jumped in your car and you took off to Florida. The place is booming, uh, very low unemployment, very low homeless rates, uh, Oh, I'm just losing you, John. I've just lost him. I've got to go to a break anyway. We'll come back with John Ruddick right after this. On, we'll, we'll come back in a second, John. We've got a problem with your connection. This is TNT Radio. Rick Munn on TNT Radio. There was a, a statement that I saw last week that I thought was quite interesting from one of these uh, web spokespeople, the World Economic Forum spokesperson. And one thing that she said that I thought was quite interesting was she said, you know, um, there has been a little bit of a tail off with people buying into the vaccine narrative and she blamed that on people like us spreading so-called missing disinformation. She said that climate change was a little bit too much of an absolute 
abstract concept for people to really grab and get their heads around. So that's not really taking off the way they want to either. And then she said something very interesting. She said, you know what? When the water crisis comes, people will understand that because it's simple and everybody needs water. And if you don't have water for a few days at a time, you'll know all about it. So maybe, you know, we're hypothesizing a little bit about what's, what it's going to take to grab people and bring them back on board again with a World Economic Forum type narrative. Could this be what it is? Locked and Loaded with Rick Munn on today's News Talk TNT Radio. I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me and I was trying to figure it out and I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old, and it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive, multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. Today's News Talk Radio. I do a lot of streaming radio. I do a lot of free streaming. TNTradio.live. I've got John Ruddick, MLC, the leader of the New South Wales Libertarian Party, newly named. Um, John, I'm getting the sense that mainstream media in Australia is starting to tell some of the truth related to renewables. That is the incredible cost of lying, of laying whole new transmission lines. The fact that it could be as much as $100 billion, which doesn't make them cheap at all. We're also hearing that uh, we won't be getting to net zero and the targets won't be matched as promised by Anthony Albanese or the minister, Chris Bowen. But of course, Bowen is blindly intent on charging through with laying these transmission networks through rural Australia. And it's not happening very quickly because rural Australia, the farmers, don't want a bar of it. Um, what are you hearing from those who support the party from rural Australia? Are you getting the feeling that they don't want various tracts of their own land ripped up to lay down more transmission lines for renewables? Well, you know, about every three months, the 7 o'clock ABC News talks that they can't shut up about global warming, global boiling, climate change. And they go and interview a farmer and the ABC and they and the, the farmer says, oh, yeah, I'm really worried about global boiling, global climate change. But this is the truth. There's no occupation more in tune with the natural world than the farmer. Yeah. And as a result of that, 
90% of them are global boiling deniers. They know it's BS, right? They've lived through all the droughts and the floods and the seasons, and hot summers and cold winters. They've lived, they know it, and they know it's not true. But then the ABC goes and finds some freak who says, oh, yeah, 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 I think it's true. Now, the people who live in the inner city, they're not really connected to the natural world, unlike no. the farmer. Now, what's happening is, okay, they've told us for 15 years, oh, yeah, the renewables are going to give us a cheaper energy, cleaner energy. But they say, look, the sun's, the sun's free, the wind's free. Okay, okay. You've got to build an unbelievable amount of infrastructure to turn it into an electricity that can turn on your toaster. And, now, now, and they're not making money. All the, They've lied to us the whole way through. They said, oh, the renewable energy revolution is so good because it's going to be, it's going to make electricity cheaper. <laughs> Rubbish. So good. Yeah, it's not working. Now, now, last weekend, hasn't got much publicity. Last, late last week it came out. Chris Bowen, who is a fanatic on this material, he says that to all these renewable companies that are, um, you, know, you know, spending money to try and bring about the revolution, he says if they don't make money, if they run at a loss, he'll underwrite them. The government will wow. underwrite them. The, the taxpayer. taxpayer. Yeah, exactly. We're going to underwrite the whole flaming lot. So you can't go wrong in the renewable energy industry. Yeah, the, gov- yeah. the government's already thrown a ton of bloody money at them already. And now they say, gee, imagine going into business, Chris. You go into business and the federal government says, oh, you can't lose money. If you mm. lose money, we'll bail you out. That's mm. where we're up to. Joe Biden brought in the, um, the, 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 the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, um, a, a year ago. He, he, he got about a, a, a trillion dollars out of Congress. To, to, to quote unquote combat inflation, and three quarters of it went to the renewable in, in, in energy industry. Okay, so it's all crap. It's all coming apart. I think people are starting to wake up. Yeah. Uh, you know, I went to a very good rally the other day with your friend um, Alan Jones and Barnaby Joyce was there. Had a really good rally. The renewables, uh, um, the unreliables uh, rally. There was a lot of people from rural areas, farmers worried about these monstrosities and their transmission lines going across prime agricultural land for nothing. The yeah. coal industry the coal industry gave us cheap energy and it's not causing global boiling. Mm. It's just ridiculous. And the fact that they would underwrite losing inefficient industry is just a, a complete stain on federal government. It's just gross. It is just gross. Now, I want to get to Henry Kissinger in a second, but before we do that, there's some news out of Indonesia indicating that following that high court decision to release those indefinite detainees who are in part criminal, economic refugees are now lining up to take the next leaky boat to Australia. The people smugglers are back in business. Same old carrot, John, same old Labor Party and same old people smuggling crisis again. This will be an ongoing challenge for decades to come. Okay, there's three billion people in Asia and a lot of them are poor. Now it's getting richer and that's great because they're following capitalism. Okay, but there's still a ton of poor people in Asia and, you know, most of them would happily cut off their right arm if they could become an Australian citizen. Now, uh, so they are, and the launching pad's always going to be Indonesia. They follow these high court matters and these legislative matters very carefully. They're always looking for a little opening and they will keep trying. Now, I am reasonably confident that the Labor Party has learned their lesson 
and they're going to follow the Jim Molan, you know, Operation Sovereign Borders. Uh, you know, Jim Molan, the late, the great late Jim Molan, saved this country. He's, he, he, remember, he remember the Labor, remember the Labor Party, remember the Labor Party. You know, Kevin Rudd comes in, the boat people start coming in, then they come in, you know, a trickle, then it turns into a flood. Julie Gillard's the prime minister, just boat after boat after boat. She couldn't do anything about it. Tony Abbott comes in, appoints appoints uh, Jim Bowler to fix it up, and it's all fixed up in two weeks. That's yeah. how hard it was. The yeah. Labor Party doesn't know how to do it. But the good news is hopefully Albo and the Labor Party, they don't want this to happen. They know it will bring down the government. So hopefully they can just keep doing what the late, great Jim Molan put in place, Operation Sovereign's Border. But, you know, this is something I hope Albo succeeds on this. I do not want boat people coming here again. All right, the passing of Henry Kissinger, aged 100, ends an extraordinarily controversial period in diplomatic history. Um, I think he was too willing to send kids into ridiculous wars, and he created this aura that he was so close to the Chinese, but there was a lot of smoke, mirrors and dragons and all of that. What's your feeling about his legacy? I have a favourable view of Henry Kissinger. Now I know he's it's a it's a big long life, a hundred years. He was still he still had his brains till the day he died. Yeah, he still he still could be good speeches. Yeah, I think he was a brilliant man. Now, obviously, made some mistakes, but look, I think the number one thing I like him for was he had the genius and the foresight to think in the middle of the Cold War, in the middle of the Vietnam War, he had the genius to think. Hey, you know what? The Chinese and the Russians, they may not be as friendly as we think they are. I know they're all communists and they say they're friends. He said, I think I might just sneak my way over there into not tell the not tell the West. We'll go over to China. We'll have a little private discussion with them. We'll see if we can sort of, you know, have a little bit of a detente with uh, China and America. And the Chinese said, yeah, yeah, come over, Henry, because we are getting cranky with, the, with Moscow. And then that led to Richard Nixon visiting China. And that has been a very good thing because before before Nixon went to China, yeah, China was North Korea. Extreme mm. poverty, extreme repression. They were unbelievably cruel bastards. The Cultural Revolution, which most people don't know about, but it was it was half as bad as the Holocaust. Now the Holocaust was the worst thing that's ever happened. So it was half as bad as that, so it's pretty bad. But they lived in hell. Nixon came over and said, "Look, you know, look, let's be friends." And we think you should bring in a bit of free market reform. And now look at China today. Now, we know they're still, you know, dict dictators, but at least the people aren't starving to death and there's a fairly reasonably high level of freedom, okay? Now, it's, it's not like Australia, okay, but it's, it's not like North Korea. That's the point. So Kissinger does deserve credit for that. Now, on the Vietnam War... Uh, yeah, look, obviously America lost the Vietnam War, but uh, you look, what, what, most people, what, what most people sort of don't, don't remember is, is that there were two countries. There was South Vietnam and there was North Vietnam. Now, North Vietnam went communist quickly. South Vietnam did not want to go communist. South Vietnam was pro-America. Now, it wasn't a democracy, but it was heading in that direction. Mm. Neither was South Korea at the time. Neither was Japan at the time. Neither was Taiwan at the time. South Korea could have been an absolutely booming free market, you know, it would have been democratic by now. And South, South Vietnam got invaded. A lot of corruption, yes. Uh, South Vietnam got invaded by North Vietnam. And South Vietnam said, can you help us, America and Australia? And America, out of kindness, 
said, yeah, yeah, we want to stop communists all around the world invading countries, which is what they were doing. And so, the, look, the Vietnam, now, now it, it obviously um, didn't turn out well. But, look, one thing, one thing the Vietnam War did, war did do is it did stop the dominoes. We, 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 we fought the communists there in, in Vietnam, and what that gave breathing space, space to Thailand, to Malaysia, to Singapore, to Indonesia, and they all got on their feet. And now they're all reasonably successful, happy countries, democracies. And so America paid a very heavy price for Vietnam, and Kissinger was a big part of that. Now, we could probably do it better if we could think about it now, but, um, you know, look, I, I, look, I've watched a ton of his interviews and I've read one or two of his books. I find him a very liked person, but, like, I agree, Chris, I know a lot of people hate his guts. The lefties hate his guts. <laughs> um, and the right-wingers don't have that much to say about him. But I'd like to be, you know, I'd like to be someone who would like to put on the record I'd like to thank. I would like to thank Henry Kissinger for his service to humanity. Oh, well, that, I'm glad you've been able to say that. I disagree completely, but let's agree to disagree <laughs> on this lovely Friday afternoon. Thank you so much for your time, John Ruddick. Well, maybe maybe I'll be speaking to you from Buenos Aires next week. Unlikely, <laughs> but I'll try. Oh, cannot wait for that. <laughs> Donald, the Donald Trump of Australia going into Argentina. He'll be feted and faded like never before. Yes, John Ruddick, yes. MLC, now the leader of Good the Libertarian Party of New South Wales. Thank you, John. Thanks, mate. Good on you. There you go. Got to take a break for news. We'll do that. We'll come back with Shane Healy on TNT Radio. And action. The news. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Washington has told Israel it must put plans in place to reduce civilian deaths and protect critical infrastructure in Gaza before resuming its bombardment of the besieged territory. Turkey Air's president has declared Benjamin Netanyahu the butcher of Gaza, accusing the Israeli leader of committing one of the worst atrocities of the century. And the US state of Texas is suing Pfizer, accusing the US pharmaceutical giant of lying to the public and silencing its critics. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. Okay, let's get down to some serious business. As Israel and Hamas get closer to the end of their ceasefire, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony J. Blinken met with Israeli leaders on Thursday. You would have heard what he had to say on our news. He urged them to take concrete steps to reduce civilian deaths before it resumes its war with Hamas in Gaza. Can they be trusted to do that, given how many innocent people have died? I don't know. Meanwhile, the New York Times is reporting that many of the hostages have returned to Israel in the past week have come home malnourished, infested with lice, ill, injured, and deeply traumatised. To get us up to speed with what's happening and what's about to happen, we're joined now by former military intelligence officer Shane Healy. Shane was deployed by the Australian Defence Force to both Iraq and Afghanistan and was working um, at one stage as a private military contractor in, in the Middle East as well. His skills include preparing insurgent threat assessments and training special operations police. Shane Healy, welcome back to TNT Radio, mate. Afternoon, Chris. How are you going? Very, very well. I should say to my listeners, if you've got a question 
to ask Shane, please go ahead and use one of our talkback numbers from the United States and Canada, one 6425 from the UK, 033-024-1026, or from Australia and New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. You may want to ask about, you know, what now for the region? Will this extend beyond Gaza? Uh, it may be a question about how Israel goes about extracting Hamas. Is that possible? What Hamas will do uh, when the ceasefire is over? Use those numbers. Ask the question of Shane. He is an expert in this field, and he's only too happy to answer your questions. Okay, Shane, during this ceasefire, what would Hamas be up to underground and also in the region? What would they be doing? So the first thing they'd be doing is undertaking uh, a battle damage assessment. So where are they now? Numbers still active in the field, looking at weapons. What have they lost? What have they got? Uh, what areas have they given up? Uh, their lines of supply to Iran and other areas is big because they would need to be moving munitions around. What are their safe havens? What have they lost to Israel? And then briefing and getting ready for the next phase of their uh, operations. Okay, so it's... Very handy to have a ceasefire for them, not so handy for Israel, right? Oh, they would have been screaming for it, Chris. They need that pause in order to take stock and then, you know, go again, so to speak. But not Israel? No, no. Israel, they took their time prior. Remember, they built up, they got their scheme and manoeuvres and their plans, they got their logistics ready, and they've done it methodically, as we previously discussed, where uh, Hamas kind of... You, when you're fighting a, a counterinsurgency, urban operations, uh, you've got to be very uh, methodical, but you can't let the enemy breathe. You know, they can have no space, no freedom of movement. And uh, they were winning that war, the Israelis, and that's what Hamas needed. And, and that would have been some of the um, reason that Hamas agreed to the ceasefire. I've read, I've read a lot about who's being advantaged by the ceasefire, and most people agree that it's Hamas. And they seem to have got their way in terms of the release of hostages because the fact is, despite the number that have been released, there are more still in captivity than there are released, right? Yeah, that's correct. And it's also, if you're looking at the Palestinians that are being released, they're not innocent. They've all been in an Israeli jail for terrorism activities. So in some ways, and they're all coming out, and the first thing they're doing is swearing allegiance to Hamas. So in some ways, it's really benefited Hamas from that angle. And uh, one of the conditions of the ceasefire is they must release a small number of hostages each day so they can drag the ceasefire out, uh, or they'll try to, in order to keep that you know movement of uh, logistics and supplies because Israel have shown their hand. They said, we're coming back in. We're going to finish the job. So Hamas would be setting for up for those conditions. Why haven't they released all the hostages, I, I guess, um, I know that's a, almost a rhetoric question, but they could have, right? Oh, for sure. But there's a couple of... We've also got the information operation that's going on, uh, both in the region and, you know, for example, in America at the moment, there's a really big Palestinian movement in Washington. So senior Israeli defence um, members out of the embassy have been giving personal briefings to a lot of the congressmen and women in, in the Washington in order to get that support to Israel because... I don't think that the Israelis ever would have thought that some of the countries that have come out against them and, and gone to international criminal uh, uh, courts to, to, to say that they're um, doing humanitarian and war crimes. So I don't think Israel counted on some of the international backlash. 
So why we're talking about Hamas in a tactical uh, sense uh, regrouping, Israel at using the ceasefire to strategically regroup. Okay, so let's just say the ceasefire ends in the next 24 hours. Yep. Firstly, in terms of the war, will what will Israel do? How different will it be to what we've already seen? No, nothing from the Israelis. Uh, like we've discussed before, urban, especially urban subterranean combat is metre by metre, room by room, house by house, um, and, and they'll literally have to own that ground and continue that march forward street by street. And Hamas would be trying to slow that down, engage. I think we were up to about 70 IDF soldiers currently killed. They'd be trying to push that up. And then really, again, ramping up that information operations, trying to show the world that Israel is still bombing or killing civilians. So part of the strategic impact of this ceasefire is to get the civilians out of Gaza, where Hamas would be trying to keep some of those Palestinians there because that's their international leverage. Yeah. What about hostages? Is that the end of the release for the time being? Uh, well, so that the, the rules in Qatar were that Hamas had to continue to release. So if they're still releasing hostages in Israel start again, they've had a win geopolitically because they're, we're doing what we said we would and you're not. So they're going to continue to drip feed, uh, in my assessment, uh, hostages even past the agreed date. The key for me is the American hostages. Yeah. Because as long as they've got American hostages, America geopolitically are involved in the war. Yeah. If they release the American hostages and American leave, well, then uh, it's a bit more free-for-all for Israel. It's a deliberate strategy. I know they've released that four-year-old, but that four-year-old was an Israeli-American, not an American Jew. Um, so therefore, they've still got nine or eight, we understand. This is a, a deliberate strategy, isn't it? Oh, 1,000%. And we've discussed this before. They're the key because as long as there's US citizens underground, the Americans, especially the Palestinian lobby in the States, are going to put pressure on Israel to stop some of that aerial campaign and the bombing. Okay. I've been watching the way the hostage hand, handover has occurred each and every time they've been released. Uh, most were shocking acting performances where the hostages felt the need to do precisely as Hamas soldiers ordered them to do. Um, the Hamas soldiers apparently, in some instances, were telling them to wave back to them. Um, there were even smiles um, and there, were hand, there was hand-holding. I presume they were under pressure to do all of that. Although I saw a woman, I think it was on Tuesday, as soon as she got out of the minibus, Shane, she gave her captor the most obvious death stare you have ever seen. So explain to me why the theatre. So I think there's going to be, uh, it's all of an individual base, how they individually were treated. Um, in, once the shock capture is over, I know that some of the uh, hostages are very malnourished. Um, they're very disheveled. They, some of them are beaten. So how much do they fight back? Um, there's a lot of uh, instance where they, the hostages and their captors will have a bit of a bond, especially for children and stuff. So... I think we've got a, and I've been looking at this at an individual level. Uh, obviously, some of the women would have been treated a lot differently, I'll say, in an open forum to some of the men uh, and some of the children. So they all would have had their own unique, sad experience. Um, yes. Yeah, so How do you think the women at. were treated? Uh, well, Bad. it's, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, obviously, you're looking at sexual violence for sure. It's just a given. 
Okay, the New York Times is reporting today that some of the hostages were forced to look at that horrific body cam footage of those gruesome acts from October 7. Why would they do that? Yeah, so I saw a similar report in French news where there was a 12-year-old boy discussing that. His father's still a prisoner. A lot of it is for submission. This is what we've done. If you don't do what we say, this is what we'll do to you. If you do what we say, then that's not going to happen. So that's quite common. Um, and we've seen that throughout the global war on terror where other jihad groups do that. Um, now, since you've been doing regular segments uh, based on what's going on in the Middle East, you've had some very interesting feedback. What can you tell us about that feedback from who and why? Uh, so other journalists and members of various uh, state and Commonwealth Parliament, just a bit of the honesty we're having, um, that we're getting into the nitty gritty from, a, you know, I've been a part of some of these kind of operations in the Middle East. And uh, we're discussing more about what's it like on the ground rather than the normal uh, academic uh, textbook kind of grey answers. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's, you know, I'm getting hit up on uh, especially LinkedIn and Twitter or X uh, for a bit more information. And, and can I go in a bit more detail and especially the subterranean environment and how the, the psyche of the hostage might feel. But it's very positive. And then when we're talking about Indigenous things, uh, discussing that with other people too. Just something separate to what we're discussing, something related to home, that is Australia, and you would have been following this colossal mess that followed the High Court decision to release these criminal detainees, these indefinite detainees. The Home Affairs Minister, Claire O'Neill, doesn't look like she's up to the task for me. The latest thing I saw was her accusing Peter Dutton of supporting pedophiles. There's not a, a person on in Australia who would think that would possibly happen. If anything, those who dislike him would think that he'd be too harsh on pedophiles because he's a harsh man. We've heard it time and time again. Claire O'Neill is not up to this. No, and if you recall, I said that a few weeks ago straight out. Um, the interesting thing for me is that Peter Dutton set Home Affairs up and I was around the government uh, intelligence community when that was taking place. Um, but if you, this morning on Sunrise, she got into it with uh, Senator Hume, you know, and, and one minute she's saying that me and Senator Hume are, are close friends and then she's calling her a liar. I just think, especially at the moment, she's the uh, in charge of cybersecurity, which we know that that we, we, hundreds of penetrations a day from China, Russia and other actors, you know, she's, she did not see or war game this um, detention. So she didn't, That's at right. that stage, she's admitted that they, she didn't look at what if they got this negative result? They didn't play it out. They should have had plan A, plan B, plan C, Shane. 1,000%. And to me, that's just, you know, common. Common. Anyone does that. Worst case scenario, you know, best case, always plan for the worst so the best will happen. She did none of that. Um, yeah, so I think that was her first uh, shortcoming in this. Uh, and it's just gotten worse. And, and I've always said that that portfolio encapsulates, you know, we've had a boat land up Northern Territory. People got out and walked into an airfield and said, we're here. That's on her too. That's gone under the rug because mm. of the high court decision. So there's probably four or five things right at the moment in different areas that she's in charge of that are going pear-shaped. Um, so while I think she's out of a depth, I also think the Home Affairs is in charge of way too much. Yeah. You make some very good points politically. I've got to leave it there, mate. I've got plenty more to do, but great to have you on the program and thank you very much for unpacking what is a very, very intense and complicated scenario. Thank you, mate. Anytime, Chris. Okay, former ADF intelligence officer.
and uh, private contractor in the Middle East, Shane Healy, who we'll catch up with again next week on the program. This is Chris Smith on TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. While the fiery images of mostly peaceful protests coming out of central Dublin over the weekend were disturbing, and although no one condones arson, property damage, and violence against police, it was good to see the Irish finally get their Irish up and direct their ire where it properly belongs, against their own government, which has been selling out the Irish people for decades now. What triggered the upheaval? The stabbing of a young woman and two little children, including a five-year-old girl who is still in hospital with life-threatening injuries, by a Muslim maniac who was, you guessed it, known to police. The Garda disarmed the man just last month after finding him with an illegal knife. They knew he was a problem and they did nothing to stop these attacks. Ireland is actively promoting its own destruction. It is committing suicide in exactly the same way the United Kingdom committed social suicide. The number one name for new boys in Galway last year, Mohammed for the first time ever. Ireland needs to get a hold of the fact that the enemy is within the gates and their own government are the ones that have opened the doors. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. The impact of a meal goes well beyond feeding our bodies. Because when people are fed, futures are nourished. Everyone deserves to live a full life. And with your help, together we can end hunger. Join the movement at feedingamerica.org slash act now. Thanks for listening and being a part of The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Now, normally on this program, we speak with our cyber and technology guru, Alex Zaharoff-Royt, on a Wednesday, straight after we have a chat with Prue McSween. But from time to time, there are big technology stories that break, important ones for users like you, that I think means that we've got to get him on on a pinch hit basis is the how we describe it in the business. And today's one of those days. Alex Zaharoff wrote, welcome back to TNT Radio. Smithy, great to see you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, as I said, some big, big things happening in the world of technology and cyber news. And we don't get to see you for another five days. So I thought I'd get you on just briefly before the end of the program today. Apple has launched its security updates. It's important that Apple uses um, heed the warnings, right? Absolutely, yes. iPad OS, iOS for iPhones and Macs. You've got updates that are there today. Now, there's no new features, but there are security updates which can stop people from arbitrarily running code on your uh, phone or a tablet or computer. So definitely get those updates on as soon as you can. Now, also, uh, Google is talking up its 11 new Android features. Yeah, yeah. If you go to Tech Advice Life, I've got the article there, which is a re- reprint of the blog post. But they've got, look, simple stuff like uh, new emoji kitchen sticker combinations. You can show what you uh, while you tell with voice moods, elevate your reactions in Google messages. You can uh, 
tune into over 10 new free channels on Google TV, uh, control more smart home devices and light groups from your smartwatch, uh, let smart home devices know when you're home or away, make daily tasks easier with assistant routines on watchOS so you can uh, control more things from your uh, watch, uh, logging in with security key is more seamless, manage your assistant at a glance with your watch face, uh, here AI image description, so if you are of low vision, you can hold your phone in front of something and it will describe, well, just if you're on, on the web, you can see what some of the images are. Normally, a web developer has to type in what the description of that image is. AI can describe that for you. And you can also take calls and access media through live captions. So always new features for Windows, for iPhone, for Android with operating system updates, and Google is no different. Yeah, exactly. All right, but it's a very big 24 hours for AI news. Give us a rundown. Sure. Well, we've got the first birthday of ChatGPT. It came out yesterday, a year right. ago in beta. And since that time, I mean, we've seen a million AI flowers bloom. We've seen Sam Altman being sacked and rehired. Uh, we've seen, uh, you know, lots of things from Google. And Amazon this week actually announced at its reInvent conference in Las Vegas, a new uh, business enterprise focused chatbot called Hue. And so this is uh, basically for enterprises. Uh, you'll be able to generate or summarize various forms of content, including blo blog posts and press releases and emails, undertake actions on behalf of users. You can tackle connectivity issues and tell you what's wrong with your network. You can help users write plans or instructions. I mean, it's a chat GPT for business, and it's competing with the ones from Microsoft, from Google, from everybody else. And the other big AI news this week is something called Pika, P-I-K-A dot art. Now, you've got to either type that in or come to my site and have a look. There's a 54-second video, and this is where you are typing things in with text, uh, like uh, show me a, a video of Elon Musk in a spacesuit, a 3D-style animation. That's what the video starts with. And this 54-second video is just incredible. I've, got, I've actually wrote a description of what it is, but you've got to see it. And this is going to be used by people in their basements. In their, in the, you know, Kids are going to be creating TV shows and movies that in a year's time probably will be at the cinema that someone has created some hit TV show or movie all through the power of just describing it and uh, letting the computer create it for you. So it's really, when you see the video, it's incredible stuff. Go to techadvice.life and watch it for yourself. I implore people to watch that 54-second video. I've seen it three times now. I cannot believe how simply you can turn the very basic of image into what could be the section of a movie. Like, seriously, it is out of this world. Look, Pika says that their vision is to enable everyone to be the director of their own stories and to bring out the creator in each of you. And they're doing it in uh, 3D animation style, in anime style, cartoon style, cinematic style. I mean, you were just typing in what you want to see. I remember watching an episode of Westworld, the last season that was on uh, Binge or Foxtel. And yep. in that in that particular show, they had the uh, protagonist who was just describing things and the computer was creating it in front of them. That was science fiction when it was written. Now <laughs> it's real. And that is what is happening. You Describe yeah. what you want. I want to sit on that horse and ride that horse. There I am riding the horse. I want the horse to jump over a whole heap of lakes. The lakes appear and the horse jumps over lakes. It's amazing. And I, if you're I, not happy... Yeah, if you're not happy with the breed of horse, you tell, look, I want it to be a, a, a Shetland. I want it, the horse to be brown or white. I want the character to be taller. I want better sunglasses. I, you know, it's just mind-blowing yes. that you can describe what you want. I mean, it's godlike powers. That's sort of what it is. Yeah. It was only after looking at that 54-second video that I hope everyone who's watching or listening to this now gets a chance to look at. It was only then that I fully appreciated the power of AI, Alex. 
Absolutely. And pika.art.art, there's a wait list. I mean, we don't know the cost at the moment. It's probably going to be starting off to be free. But when you see that, yes, the power of AI is just incredible. As I've mentioned before, Bill Gates has said, not that we trust too much of what Bill Gates says these days anymore, but he said that computing as we know it is about to change. Just like we had tape recorders when you know I was growing up and now kids have got no idea what that is and they've got 100 million songs on their phones at the just by asking for it by yeah. voice. I mean, AI is going to change everything about technology. And in fact, next week, I'm going to be in San Francisco, in Santa, Santa Clara in California at an AMD event where they'll be unveiling new stuff about AI. I can't say too much more because actually it hasn't been announced and hasn't been launched yet. But this mo it's moving so fast that uh, just hang on to your seats because the next year is going to blow our expectations totally out of the water. I think you are right. I think you are absolutely right. Okay. I do want to talk about the 2023 app economy report it looks like as if the app economy in australia is going gangbusters yeah it is now this is a report that uh, comes out once every couple of years and it is showing that uh, you know in i mean already we're so dependent on mobile apps for our daily lives and and tim cook actually both apple and google have released their top lists of apps for 2023 and chat gpt was the user's choice for google users but uh, the australian app economy is a potent source of future jobs uh, and they're saying that uh, since developing updating maintaining and securing mobile apps has become ever more important now there are 100 74,000 jobs in Australia in the iOS ecosystem. That's a gain of 81% compared to 2017. And the jump to 160,000 jobs for Android is a jump of 90%. And look, the, the mobile app economy really took off in 2008, 2009. And that actually helped pull the world out of the global financial crisis. I mean, there were, there were apps before then for Palm Pilots and Pocket PCs, but the iPhones and Androids really changed the world and put a, a real computer in our pockets. And it's only gotten better since then, there are now 1.8 million apps in the iOS, in the Apple App Store, and a similar number in the Android App Store. And so, uh, you know, we, we're basically just seeing this boom and people like Canva and a whole bunch of other companies in Australia and around the world are powering ahead with apps. They're adding AI to their apps. I mean, AI is actually going to change the way apps work. Some of the apps will disappear in it because AI will just do it all for you. But at the moment, AI is incredibly uh, powerful and uh, apps are just... There's an app for that. That's what Apple said all those years ago, and nothing has changed. So you're off to California, mate. Well, <laughs> lucky for some, eh? Someone has to do it. <laughs> That's right, yes. Well, look, I'm, I'm trying to get myself to uh, the CES in January 2024. Unfortunately, it's a few thousand dollars to, to go, and so I'm trying to see if I can cobble together the sponsorship to go to that. But, Ned, next week, this time next week, well, uh, I'll still be in California, but I'll be joining you from a, a hotel room. It'll be uh, 9.30 p.m. For, at night for me. I'll be yep. able to uh, ring on the uh, the U.S. line, but I'll, we'll be on Zoom. But yeah, it's going to be exciting stuff. And look, we're going to see what wonders AMD, which is Intel's biggest competitor, has in store for AI, and I'm sure it'll be very exciting. Fantastic. Great to catch up with you, uh, even if it is an extraordinary um, little segment. Great to catch up on some of the big stories occurring in tech and cyber. Thank you, mate. Thanks so much for having me on and have a great weekend. All right. Same to you. Yeah, have a great weekend. Fantastic. Alex Zaharoff, right? If you want to go and watch that, the best way to do it is just go to his website. Um, that's techadvice.life, techadvice.life. And you'll see this 54-second video. As I said to Alex, it was only after looking at this 54-second video and realising how simple it was to create magic by simply commanding something to do so that I fully appreciated the power of AI.
And that's exactly what you will do when you watch all of that. Now, I had plenty more to tell you about, but I've simply run out of time. I am so Have a fabulous week. Uh, have a tremendous weekend, what's left of it. Up next, Dean Macken. He is back. Let me pick after that. And then Katie Hopkins. Thank you so much for your company. We'll see you on Monday. This is TNT Radio.